Hello there, and welcome to the show about shows, San Diego Magazine's performing arts podcast. I am Erin Glenny, editor in chief of San Diego Magazine. With me is Kim Cunningham, our senior editor. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Hi, everyone. And Dan Letchworth, our copy chief. Howdy. And we have two wonderful guests today. We've met them before. Um, we have Jennifer Thorne, Associate Artistic Director at Moxie Theater. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And Tony Robin, Chair of the Bechdel Brigade Committee. Hello, Tony. Hello. That's the first and time I've heard that out loud. Arts. I've never used that publicist title for you. You have many extraordinaire. titles. Extraordinaire. Yes. Yeah, I hear that more She's often. She's an arts world. Ooh, we were talking about titles earlier. Well, I, I, liked, I liked arts publicist extraordinaire. That that was okay. good. Yes, arts people hire her. She's good. She's really great. And we are all in our conference room at San Diego Magazine. Uh, there will be links to everything we talk about at sdmag.com. And if you'd like to sponsor us, you may email davidm at sdmag.com. All right. Okay, let's get into our news first. Kim, give us your stage notes. All right, so a couple things going on this week. Um, the Old Globe announced that they're going to do a reprise of their Thinking Shakespeare Live just uh, ahead of their summer Shakespeare program. So it's really cool. It was a big success last time, and it's with Barry Edelstein. He's the artistic director of the theater, and he's considered a wonderful Shakespeare expert, and he's going to bring in Treasure? three... Cl- <laughs> Treasure, yeah, we'll give him that. A foremost he's, he wrote Treasure. a book about it. I, I'm not sure the name of the book. What is the book? Thinking Shakespeare, a how-to guide for student actors, directors, and anyone else who wants to feel more comfortable with the bard. But basically, it's ahead of their summer program, so you can really figure out how to get the most of these Shakespeare plays. Shakespeare is intimidating to people. A lot of times you go in, you don't understand what's going on, you don't know the story. So... Anyway, it's just kind of a chance to, you know, broaden your theatrical horizons, if you will. And it was a big hit last year when they did it, and it's happening again. Tickets are on sale now. They're $15. Um, this, uh, I think this summer they're doing Hamlet and Richard II. So those are big plays, and, you know, you might need a little uh, buffer up front. So uh, <laughs> anyway, very cool, and I love Barry, and I love Shakespeare, so I think that's something worth checking out just to let you know that that's happening. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting, just random, but Allegiance is making going to make its premiere in L.A., which they just announced. And uh, so that's coming in early 2018, and that was started at the Old Globe also. and Which we saw together. We saw it together, and I have to admit, it was not my cup of tea. But... But, and I'm a huge Leah Salonga fan, but it was like the best-selling or the highest-ticketed best-selling moneymaker the Globe has ever done. I actually liked it a lot. I was one of those you people who really liked it. Yeah. I, I, mean, yeah. I don't know why people, people didn't like it. People loved it. Yeah. The music wasn't catchy. I liked it as a play, maybe. Oh, I don't know. It would have been a really I, good play, I yeah. I really, I wasn't singing the songs. I wasn't tap dancing out of there. That's which I know. true. You know, I was moved by the story, so. Yeah, it was the story, but it was, I, and I yeah. love Leah Salonga, so I don't know. A treasure. She and I love George Takai, Broadway, so. Well, and that's why I think it's had nine lives, this thing. But anyway, it's, you know, so it's, it's, it just, I think it's done on Broadway. It's Broadway yeah. run. Yeah, and I think they filmed it or, yes. uh, yeah, there, it has a lot of lives. I think his name attached to it and his connections, but yeah, I don't, I think it's it over It was based on his experiences. True story. And, uh, yeah, so it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, for those of you who know, he spent some time as a child in a Japanese internment camp. So, um, 
Anyway. Gotta make a road trip up to LA to see it. I missed the uh, live. Yeah, yeah. Fathom so event that that's they why I brought here. it up. Exactly. So if you didn't catch it at the Globe and you didn't make it to New York, it's coming to LA and it's going to be a big production. And uh, you know, so that's happening, which is very cool. And just one more thing I wanted to tell you guys about. We actually mentioned this on our very first podcast that a new theater company is in town. They're called the Roustabouts and founded by three local actors. And uh, they've just finished their first play. It was called uh, Margin of Error. It's still it, running. Oh, well, well so... In May, on May 9th. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> okay. So, you know, they just finished. I think by the time this podcast airs, it will their first uh, play production will have closed but they have new ones coming out and the first one margin of error got a lot of great reviews so i think it's kind of buzzy and they're up and coming and their next production opens in june it's a take a comedic take on withering heights written by phil johnson Hmm. and um I'm not sure. It's he's a Will yeah. Cooper. Oh, Will who Cooper is also the playwright. One of the yeah. one of the co-founders of the of troupe too. Jade Hart, and he's actually a playwright out of Chicago. Who uh, we produced a play of his. He's incredible, and uh, and he's a great addition. I'm glad he's going to be in San Diego more because he's a really smart playwright. I'm excited about their company. He wrote Margin of Error, yeah. which everyone was saying yes. was really really their good. Their staged reading of it happened. They did a sort of test run as he was in the process of developing it on our stage at Moxie, and so I got. To to see it then and it, it's a strong play so, so do you have faith in a funny Wuthering Heights I oh mean, yeah for sure okay what were you guys saying about Phil Johnson before we before we started recording we were talking about Phil Johnson because we not were to be confused about- with the NBA coach isn't he <laughs> somebody like a Laker I, well, I, I was saying that you know when you have a part in a play in San Diego and you know you need it to be funny this play needs to be funny like if you if you want to make sure then you hire Phil Johnson to be on your stage mm-hmm. because he is he is a comic treasure and and, uh, and a good friend to, to, to a lot it's of a drinking games. Every, every time we mention the word treasure, take a drink. Yeah. Well, he wrote and, and starred in a one-man show based on the Hound of the Baskervilles, where he played all of the characters yeah. in rapid succession, and it was just a tour de force. It was amazing, and but it was hilarious. So, I mean, he's that guy. You know who else is a treasure? One of the, our signet gals. What's her face? She's a treasure. She Allison. Who's that girl? The, oh, I'm not gonna get Eileen married. Bowman. Oh, Eileen yes. Bowman. Yeah, She's I'm not getting married. Yeah, yes, you know yes. your theater. We love her. I well, feel like she could do. Erin Meanley and I were in tears when we saw it's company, right? Yes, so uh-huh. we were in tears during that. She spoke to us during that performance, <laughs> and she was in uh, 20th Century, right? Mm-hmm. Just, oh yes, yeah. she was fantastic in it. I loved we it. Love Lily her. Garland. And she was actually just at Moxie too. She was in Ruthless, and she was incredible in that as well. And I think it's she's played the the lead character in Ruthless like three or four times. She's, she's a treasure. She's you know amazing. What? One of our goals should be get to get her on <laughs> here. Oh, she, oh, you she have would to. Be a lot of fun with Phil. They do a lot yeah. together. Ooh. Oh yes, oh, together. We'd be so starstruck. They actually had and a show. They did. Remember, it was it both of them. Oh, it oh was what is it called? Phil and Eileen, or something I very think simple. So yes, the two of them sing, romp around, mm-hmm. banter. They well, would be. A, they could have their own show. Listeners, stay tuned because maybe they'll be on our show sometime. <laughs> that sounds. If so they fun. don't take their own show. Well, anyway, so the Roustabouts. I'm really bummed. I missed their first show, but their second one's coming up, and I'm excited. I think we're going to see some good work from them coming up. Very cool. All right. Well, Jennifer was on here uh, maybe a couple of months ago, and you were the it was first our person to mention. Podcast. Oh, second podcast. Maybe. Um, the Bechdel Wallace test. And that was actually the first time I'd heard of it. 
And then it was an answer on Jeopardy, and I was super excited because if Alex Trebek is talking about it, yes. it is like you know a thing. But um, anyway, so first of all, let's talk about what let's talk about who is Alison Bechdel and what is the Bechdel Wallace test. Well, uh, do you want me to take this one, Tony? Um, well, you start, and I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll okay. correct you when you're wrong. So, so <laughs> I will talk about how Moxie, how Moxie's connection to who Alison Bechdel is. Uh, Moxie's mission, which I mentioned when I was on in the past, is to create more diverse and honest images of women for our culture. And the Bechdel-Wallace test uh, is a, a really simple way of evaluating. It was, you know, for film initially, but has been used widely across all art forms since then to to evaluate whether or not women women receive equal you know screen time or equal treatment in a piece of art and I, I the simple the test is really it sounds so sad but it's just that uh one that there are more than there are there's, two or more women their scene has two women in that it. a scene has to have two women in it who have a names scene or the whole movie any scene in the movie has it has to have two, two women, women in it and they have to have names they have to have names they talk to each other about something other than a man. That's it. And that's, and that's it. it. And that's all you need. If you look at, there is a, a video that goes around with a laundry list of movies that don't pass the test. And it's so many movies that you know that you... I was hours of just screen, to screening. learn that Ferris Bueller's Day Off was on the list. Mm. It's sad. And when Harry met Sally, of course that movie is about relationships. But I was like, this is... Nora Ephron. I know. Oh Back to the Future, Austin Powers, Lord of the Rings. Home Alone. Slumdog Millionaire, Fight Club, Born Supremacy, Princess Bride, Toy Story, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Everything, Tony all the wrong. <laughs> did not pass the test. It's amazing how many don't. And so it comes out of a cartoon. So if you were a lesbian in the 80s, um, there were not a lot of pop culture things to reference or watch or look at or anything um, but there was this cartoon it's called Dykes to Watch Out For and it was a had a cult following it was you know graphic novel that Alison Bechtel drew and wrote and that was her claim to fame and so this was actually one of the cartoons um, the test was the one that it was called and it just took off um, so since the 80s it's still something people reference you hear it with comedians today and you know, for Moxie, it's been a, it's been a thing we've we've talked about internally, but it's been interesting because there was always there was a separation between Alice and Bechdel until into you know in theater until uh, as many theater lovers will know until Fun Home, which is based on her graphic novel, which is about her life. And suddenly, I think the theater world really awoke if they weren't already you know woken to the Bechdel the Bechdel Wallace test and started evaluating, hey, are we are our plays meeting this? Are we meeting these requirements? And so that's how how she came to Moxie's attention, and uh, and that's how you know who how we knew about her name when we were looking for the pers- perfect person to name the Bechtel Brigade after. So that was your you named that Moxie did. We or, named the brigade. We did yes. Very cool. Yes. Well, we were looking for, um, so if you back out, we were trying to do this lesbian outreach um, as part of Moxie and just sort of brainstorming, well, that sounds boring. But what if we really identified it and created a brand or a name or a club that people would, you know, so we were just going down the list of playwrights, that women playwrights, um, that we could 
as our icon and name after. And be, as Jen said, because Alison Bechtel really wasn't thought of in the theater world, it was new and fresh. And Fun Home had just come out. And some of them, some of the playwrights, you know, the Paula Vogel, they've sort of been used. And we wanted something that was unique. And so the whole fresh approach. And if you see the logo, it looks like a cartoon thought bubble. And it's been super fun. We actually reached out to her. I tried all of my lesbian connections um, from the 80s to see if, you know, if we could get her to say something, acknowledge it or give us a quote, but she lives quite remote. Her and her partner live, I think, in a farm in Vermont. She rarely does interviews, uh, so I haven't, I haven't cracked it yet, but maybe she's listening. One if day. If you're listening, yeah. email Tony Robbins. That's right. We're looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I can talk, I would love to share with you like where the, the cause for the, the Bechtel Brigade came from. Uh, we have this ongoing uh uh, initiative to develop uh, different portions of our audience each year. We really look at what what are our demographics, who are we serving, and uh, we had a patron who came forward, uh, or patrons, Deanne Osborne Hurston, who wanted to provide us with funding to help uh, grow uh, the our lesbian audience. And so we, but we wanted to do that. In, in a bigger way than just programming a show with lesbian characters saying everybody come and now just keep coming back and that was when I reached out to Tony who I knew would have creative ideas about it and uh, she had this great idea let's make it let's make it bigger than this how can this be something that lives on and and so this has sort of been her brainchild I'm really excited that that you wanted to be involved in it well I was you know as a theater person um I, you know, I like to see all good work, and, it, and and I've been especially attracted to Moxie because of the women-centric shows that they put up, the women who are behind the scenes, um, and it, I just, you know, I don't need to see lesbians, I just want to see strong work by women, mm-hmm. and so that's sort of been the push of this, is to get that community engaged. It used to be that the only shows that you could even see that even had a lesbian play were somebody died, or, so you know, somebody committed suicide, and it was just tragic, and a lot of people sort of stepped away from theater and are finding other outlets and I'm trying to gather those people back uh, but you know behind the moxie brigade if you will and and say look this it doesn't have to be specifically about your experience but there's women behind it strong women good writing you know thoughtful smart work and I think that's what I'm really pushing for I remember you know again back in the 80s um, seeing rent for the first time and seeing two women you know have a normal relationship where they're fighting and yelling at each other and that really made an impact for me and so you know there's an, a whole lot of people coming up behind me younger women first of all who don't know who Alison Bechtel is so they need to understand their heritage and don't understand how you know you don't have to be in a small box you can expand you don't have to only see like gay and lesbian theater or african-american theater you could see a lot of good theater and that's what i think what moxie does is really good theater mm-hmm. and you know speaking as a as a uh, a white man who i think my opinion should be heard at all times in every discussion <laughs> whatever i have to say benefits everything i talk about <laughs> Um, I just, you know, I, we've spent our entire lives, most of them, hearing stories exclusively either by straight men for, or, or about straight men uh, and their adventures. And even, I was going to say earlier that uh, I'm so excited when I see a movie or a show that has two women with names who talk to each other and they almost pass the test, but then you realize, oh, they're still just talking about the, the dude main character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about what Moxie's doing, what Diversionary's doing, because... 
Yeah, life is too short to uh, to keep on seeing shows produced by the same kind of people for the same kind of people every single time. So, I mean, I, I thought there was a movie out recently with Annette Benning called 20th Century Woman. I don't know if you've seen it. It was such great conversations between women about other things, about life, and that, that's what's really great about the kind of work that you guys pick. I think also just making it social. You know, we try and make the events fun. There's an art component, there's a drinking component, you see a show, you maybe talk to the director, and so it becomes a social outing, not just going to the bars and that's where you might meet people. We're hoping people meet people, bring other people, um, so we're excited about it. The next, and we're sort of been dreaming up. The, initially, it was it was the idea was let's get people together, let's see one show, and and you know we hoped for the best, but we were really surprised by the incredible positive response to our first event. Everyone was asked immediately, "When is the next one?" And that's when we knew that that the brigade was a thing already, that we had a hit in our hands, and so we've scheduled now the next Bechtel Brigade night, and they will be happening as the uh, on the night of the final preview performance so the night before opening night of each of Moxie's shows the brigade will be the audience who sees it before the press sees it they get a chance to hear from the director Uh, sometimes they'll get chances to hear from actors they'll get to eat together before and like Tony said create artwork inspired uh, you know by by the show and so it's a really unique experience uh, surrounding theater I think it really taps into the timing of, you know, calling it the brigade and the and the women's march and and the, the rise of feminism and the rise of activism and awareness of of a lot of young women who have just been sitting around and not really engaging. Getting them engaged, getting them to, you know, read about a play, come see a play, talk to other theater people. It's it's actually I feel like it has a, a bigger mission than just filling seats and selling tickets. Is does the brigade refer to the committee members that make events, or anyone can be in the brigade, well, we, or you have to the, buy membership. So, so the brigadiers we... the, are the the, the, the the committee, and I'm the what am I? The You're chief the chair. The admiral. I'm the yes, head of it all. Me. Your title is chair. Yeah, but that's boring. This. I don't go. I don't do boring. <laughs> I, I think admiral or something. Um, but anyway, She's so, giving herself a promotion. So, so the brigadiers are the, are are uh, right now is our committee, but we're actually turning it into a way that we can support Moxie and have fundraising levels. So if you give it a certain level, you get a, a Bechtel Brigade t-shirt and you get yep. tickets to a show and you can invite three friends. So we're really trying to now really lift it up institutionally to help Moxie. So then anyone who, who joins will, will become a brigadier as well. Does, does everything Moxie do pass the Bechtel-Wallace test? Good you know, that's questions. a really good question. I think, uh, so, for example, I, I was just thinking through that today before uh, I came. I was thinking about our next season, which we haven't officially announced yet. And uh, there are times when it's funny when you're like, well, the entire show is one woman. So uh, does that mean I don't Or pass? the Blue Door. Uh, or Blue Door. Which is written by a woman. Which is right? written by a woman, but it has no female characters in it. And so there are times when when we don't, but, but certainly whenever there are female characters in a show, they're going to meet every other requirement of, of the, they're going to have conversations with each other about things other than men, and they are going to have names. So, in general, we exist for the purpose of creating work that meets 
the, or producing work that meets the Bechdel test. Well, and I love that you're you're making sure to use female writers. I think it's interesting that yes. as part of the test, it doesn't say that the writer has to have been a woman. Right. Yeah. And well, I'm and sure there's, there's a, many women writers who don't pass, you know, mm-hmm. which is sad. But there's a website you might know what it is, Jen, and it's out of LA, and it's like the top 100 plays written by women, and they update it every year, and it also has a name that's like the Bechdel test. It's oh my a, gosh, uh, I have my there's sticker on my computer. Yeah, you know what it is. Um, what's mm-hmm. the cartoon of the guy and he's peeking over the fence? It's a cartoon, and his little nose peeks over the fence. This sounds like there's no connection. Gilroy. No, the Kilroy. The Kilroys. Kilroys. Yeah, it was close. So it's it's called the Kilroys, and it's a group of activists, feminists, playwrights, um, playwrights, Mm -hmm. gay and straight, out of LA, that put this list together every year. And I keep, whenever I work with a theater, I put the list. It's an incredible list. And when they're picking their season, saying, "Where are your female playwrights Mm -hmm. in your season?" They have a huge panel. They all they ask for submissions. They read through the plays, and basically, they create a list of the best work not currently being produced. In, in American theater. So so it's an answer to the excuse, I would produce female playwrights if I could find exactly. good work. And they say, here you go. Here's That's a cool. list of vetted, really good, good work. Good for them. You know, we actually brought you up in the last podcast because we were talking about travels with my aunt. Oh, which is yeah. Extended. I heard that was also really good. Yeah, but it, there's an aunt character who's very strong, but there it's there's only four male actors in the show. So they're not employing so the is played a woman. by a man. And, oh. Yeah, they're not, you know, and it was written by a white guy. I mean, but it's just interesting. It's like even there's a woman in the title and she doesn't even get a job. <laughs> <And> the actor, <laughs> actors don't, I don't know. But anyway. It's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about just, the, I mean, I was really also just shocked by that list from the video. We'll link to it on, mm-hmm. on in the blog um, just so you guys can see it. But, I mean, I was just shocked, and I started thinking about, I, of course, love the show Sex and the City, and that's sort of controversial because I know they was like supposed to be very feminist, but then there's arguments that it's like not feminist because they talk about men the whole time. And I was trying to think about that, and I wished I'd had the time to sit and you know, look at that and really see how much of it is them talking about men or even friends, which is like my other mm-hmm. favorite show. I was wondering how much of that the women... I think it's really important not to get bogged down in feeling like there's rules about what you can enjoy. Like, I'm a, I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan of Sex and the City, and I understand that the critiques of it, and I understand that that show didn't appeal to everybody, but I think I understand why why it did to a lot of people mm-hmm. because just, just seeing women like each other mm-hmm. is not a thing that we get to see. So uh, I, I think that mm-hmm. for me, it's not about like, you need to sit down and come and see and show and take your medicine and there are going to be female characters mm-hmm. and they're going to be strong and you're going to like it <laughs> because I don't want to be told what to like and what not to like. And so I felt like for me, founding a company and, and the idea behind the Bechtel Brigade is there is good fun, sassy, incredible work being done by women. And it's not for lack of good work that we're not seeing it. It's for lack of opportunity that we're not seeing. And so if I can provide a place where women who want to see that kind of work want to come, where women who are writing that kind of work want to get produced, then then I, and, and where other people look and say, whoa, that show is good. They're selling tickets. They've got a following. Maybe we need to be producing something by this playwright. Um, 
I'd rather do it that way. I'd rather people start producing playwrights that we're producing because they're jealous of, of uh-huh. how much our audiences are enjoying the plays than because they feel like someone's going to shake their finger at them if they don't. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to hear you talk about it that way. Like it's uh, People feel like they have to sit down and take their medicine. Because uh, I wonder, have you guys ever heard about how there's this big uh, uh, foofer about how the cast of The Handmaid's Tale, the Hulu series... They're getting in trouble because they, they're not calling the show feminist. Like they were asked at this festival whether it's a feminist show. And they're like, oh, no, it's it's humanist. And But is I, I'm wondering if that's because maybe the general public thinks that feminist means like it's serious, it's, it's political, it's not fun. Um, well, it's a word that has a lot of baggage. Um, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. It's, but it's, they really need to reframe it. It's, it, it's, it, it, has, it almost has a backlash. To be a feminist, I mean, it just has a lot of baggage. A humanist would be nice. I had a professor say <laughs> it's the radical idea that women are human beings. But That's do, it. That's feminist. Well, this Alison Bechtel, part of why she's also the perfect name or moniker for the for the brigade is she's this quote the that her the secret subversive goal of her work was to show that women not just lesbians, are regular human beings. Yeah. And it so- that Nothing sounds... Nothing about equality or anything. They're human. Just, just, just humans. Just humans. humans. Yeah. Which is, a lot of times, I think people assume when they come to shows at Moxie that they're going to see all strong, empowered women only making good choices. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. How we, boring. <laughs> we, love, we love terribly bad women. Yes. And all kinds of women. And so uh, it's, it is. I think I personally think it's sad that that uh, <laughs> you're going to do The Handmaid's Tale and you, I, I don't know why you would back away from the word feminism. Um, it's a, If you've read the book, I mean, I'm not really sure what else is happening there. But, um, and, but I think when you back away from it, you add to that you add to that level of like, well, I wouldn't go that far. I don't want to, I think if we can just start using it in a way that's like without shame or without having to add words around it, then, then we can get past this phase where people feel like they're not sure they want to identify that way. Well, uh, while we still have you, we should talk a little bit about the revolutionists. I would love to, because it is an awesome group of, the revolutionists is about four very real badass women who lived during the French Revolution. One of them is Marie Antoinette, and uh, one of them is Olympe de Gouges, who wrote the Declaration of uh, the Rights of Women. And uh, these four women, um, three of whom were beheaded during the French Revolution for for different reasons, one of them being Charlotte Corday, who infamously murdered Marat in his bathtub. But it's a comedy, and it's, uh-huh. these four women would never have known, e- they would never have known each other. I mean, you know, a, a, a black abolitionist was not hanging out with Marie Antoinette and, and chatting, it wasn't happening. But in this play, in the, in the imagination of the playwright, these women find their way to each other and it is wacky and fast paced and there are corsets and it is sexy and it is fun. But what it is more than anything that I love, it is filled with empowerment. These women love each other. They absolutely hate each other. They disagree with each other. They are completely politically opposed to each other. And yet they are magnetically attracted to each other's power, to each other's, you know, determination. And so it, it is a fast-paced ride, but I love it. And and I'm so excited for the Bechtel Brigade to be there. Their night is on May 26th. They're coming to see the show. And I just, Lauren Gunderson, who wrote the play, is actually the most highly produced living playwright in America for 2016. And there's a reason. That woman is writing a ton of material. It is all 
all high quality. Moxie is not the only theater producing her right now in San Diego. Our show will go up at the same time as Lamb's Players, uh, who is also doing a Lauren Gunderson play. She is a woman to watch out for. She is funny, incredibly smart. Her historical knowledge is outstanding. And and when you see the play, I mean, this dialogue is just brilliant. So uh, Silent Sky... That's what's happening uh, over at Lamb's Players, and that's her other show. So I encourage you to see both uh, if you can, because she's an. I would see anything that she's written. Wow. Well, that's is actually, she local? No, she's no. not. But uh, she is skyping in for our opening night because we would oh. love we would love to have had her. But she's got so many premieres. I mean, she's probably got a play opening every week right now somewhere. In Has the anyone US. done one of her plays before in San Diego? New Village Arts did uh, Emily. Oh, which Joanne, who is in our show and is a Moxie founder, was also in. So she's been done here before. But I mean, the most that a lot of people haven't ever heard her name, and to be the most highly produced living playwright in America, like that's that's a that's quite a title. And uh, yeah, you I think you can see why when you see her work. Well, it's interesting what you said about that. Their Lambs is also doing it. One of the things that that I believe in is that people should see a lot of theater. And, you know, don't just go to Moxie, go to Lambs. You know, we, yeah. we tried to do a brigade night at another theater just to getting people out to see shows. You know, with rising tides lifts all ships and the more people who see theater, the better. I talk to people all the time and they stay in their lane with what theater they go to. Mm-hmm. I go to theater all the time. What do you go to? I go to the Globe. Well, have you seen anything at, at Signet? Have you seen anything at Moxie? Have you gone to New... They, they, so we're really trying to get people who maybe already love theater to try something else. And then we encourage other... We just want people to see live theater. And to, and to consciously choose to pay attention to who's writing the theater that they're seeing. Because I think when you when you're, you become aware that theater is written by a person and that when you're looking at stories that are only through the male lens, they may have great female characters, but those characters were invented by men. And, and I think a lot of times female characters written by female playwrights ring a little differently. And so um, if you're trying to con- be conscientious about what you absorb, making a choice to go, who's this play by? Oh, I, I'm making a goal. I have a friend online who's doing that right now. He just, he said, I, I realize I don't read any female authors, like throw names at me. What do I need to read? And uh, so I think that that's a thing. And there's a lot of choice for female playwrights in San Diego right now. We are definitely leading the the country in terms of the, the, the curve of percentages. Um, I mean, the fact that Moxie produces all female playwrights sort of pushes us over that over that edge but um but it's a great city to see female artists of all kinds in wow another distinction that's so Mm -hmm. great we are wonderful (laughs) thank you guys so much it's really interesting i feel like we could talk all day about it i know well we'll have to have you back to talk yeah we'd come back anytime and check out that is it gilroy's or kilroy's they're the kilroy's the kilroy's they have a website take a look at it it's fascinating and they freshen it up every year that's very cool well we'll we can link to that in our blog All right. and go see the revolutionists yes the revolutionists may 25th through june 25th a whole yep. month that's great we we extended before we opened oh great wow mm-hmm. and you might extend again after this i no. hope so <laughs> very cool well wh- real quick what else is going on we just want to shout out to a couple of other organizations uh, Dan? <laughs> oh, well, funny you guys mentioned Silent Sky because that was my pick for what I'm looking forward to this week. Uh, friend of the podcast and of mine from way back in high school, Rachel Van Warmer, is in it. And so that's what got me uh, 
paying attention to it. Silent Sky is the story of uh, women uh, astronomers from Harvard Observatory, and it's playing at Lambs Players Theater through May 28th. Check it out. Very cool. And I am actually talking about um, James Hubble. He's a really cool architect. His son is still practicing in San Diego. And he's got an art exhibit actually coming out at St. James by the Sea in La Jolla. That's kind of random, but it's May 19th through July 23rd. It's called What Must Be Hidden. There are sculptures, um, stained glass, paintings, all kinds of things. He is the coolest. Every Father's Day, they have an open house at his... Um, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Ilan Lael Center. Yeah, that's how they do it. There's actually a house that he designed on the way to my parents' house, and it's I've driven by it maybe a thousand times, and I've only seen it three times. And it's about, you know, ten yards off of the road, and it's hidden, but it's like it's just it just blows your mind when you do see it and you're like oh my goodness I mean it's it's magical if you get a chance it's a compound I mean there's buildings after buildings and, and you know it, they lost a lot of those buildings in a fire I can't remember which one um, and had to rebuild a lot of them but it is it's it's a magical when you're up there and the way that it's sighted up in Julian up on a hill you feel like you're a million miles away from everything else very cool well if you can't get up there you can see some of his art in La Jolla, May 19th through July 23rd. All right, that's it for us. And please go see The Revolutionists, May 25th through June 25th. Thank you both so much for coming, Jennifer and Tony. Thank you. Bechdel Brigade, look it up. And uh, we'll see you at the theater. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.